action. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places on the internet. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter slash X, Instagram, uh, your TV, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's going there. I honestly don't yeah. even know anymore. Wherever it is, maybe you're listening later on Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. We're very excited to have you here. And we have a packed show for you this evening. But before we even bring in any of the guests into the show... We got a little something we got to do right here at the top of the month. Every month, we have people who support us over on patreon.com slash comic book club at the $5 and up level. We shout out a little bit of thank you to everybody. So we're going to read off their names now. I, I think if it's okay with you guys, I was going to go first. Pete, you go second. And Justin, All right, great. you go third. Let's do it. That thank good? you guys so much. Nice. All right, no problem. Okay, let's do it live. Oinus Larson. Aaron C. Hollis. Adam DeRose. Adam Marks. Adriel Moreland. Elena Fontenot. Amanda Harris. Andrew Primo. Ashy G. Beercat PhD. Carrie Matthews. Chris Leatherman. <laughs> Christina Jarabello. Christina Rensfield. Chris Cherlizzi. Clemens Luer. Dan Snow. Daniel Cabral. Daniel Fuentes. Daniel Warden. Closing out the Danny block with Danny Heck. Debbie Gloom. Dennis Scott. Derek Mainhart. Doug Sadaway. Dylan L. J. Nice way to say it all, Eduardo Martinez. Ebiquish. Uh Enrique Jooms. Uh, Gerard de Villiers. Ian Rainey. Isaac Carter. Jake Fry. James Connolly. Jason Donahue. Jeffrey Whaley. John George. John Henderson. Jonathan Jong. Jonathan McCool. Joshua W. Bronson. Joshua Wright. Julian Lobato. Casey Newhaven. Kelby. Kevin Kleinrock. Kieran Broderick. Cody Thomas. Lawana Thomas. Lucas Inc. Mad Max Pliskin. Matt Tice. Matthew C. Hernandez. Matthew De Palma. Michael Mel- McAuliffe. Oh. Michael Tillman. Nelson Kelso Martinez. Nick G. Nick Grayson. Official CBC chef Brett Macris. Omnia Solart. Oren Dix. Pedro A. Rangel. Provocative Ambulance. Rev Mikey. Robert Pedinato. Roxanne Tyler. Get hey, my mother's name out of your mouth. People. Get my mother's name I out love of your mouth. mom. Uh, Sarah Jean Mueller. Sarah Schaefer. Scott England. Stanley. Tamila Rush. Taylor Bryan. The Big Flood. The 12 Bench. Victor Perez. Will Buchanan. William Leach. Zachary Bachman. And that's where my list ended. Zika's Viral Comics. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us. If you'd like to support us at patreon.com slash comic book club, it starts at $2 a month, very low. And not only do you get access to our very active Patreon Slack, you also get access to our back catalog of podcasts from 2011 all the way through 2023. That is literally thousands of podcasts, some of which are no longer. That's uh, no, no, no. I put up 24 at the end of the year. They'll get access. Oh, really? To the end of the year. Yeah. Wow, okay. I don't put yeah, them up constantly. You learn how the business. My time is at a premium, Justin. Come on. I know that's true. Comic Book Club News is so short. That's <laughs> to go. I know. I do gots to go. Uh, and you got to go support 
patreon.com slash comic book club. We really appreciate everybody who supports at any level, but we got some great guests for yeah, you we here. Let's get into it. Yes. Let us get into it with first one, one of our favorite guys to talk to very excited to talk to him about his recent foray into the Energon universe for Skybound and Image Comics. Joshua Williamson, everybody. Hello. Welcome. So good to see you. So excited to talk about this stuff. You are, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it expands. You're the greatest. Uh, But you're also one half of the architects right now behind the Energon universe. Kicked off with Void Rivals, went into Transformers. We had Duke number one last month. And this month, we're getting Duke number two which is kicking off the G.I. Joe part of the universe. And Cobra Commander is coming up pretty soon as well. Before we get into that, though, I did want to mention every week we have Brett Macris, who we mentioned earlier, is a professional chef down in New Orleans. He is launching a new restaurant this month that I'm blanking on the name of. But, Justin, you probably remember it. can mention it in a minute. It has not been announced yet, so we shouldn't say it. Okay, there we go. Anyway, he either curates or designs a drink. And this week, he designed a drink based on the Joe books. Yo, Joe. It's rye whiskey, limoncello, and a lemon rind. And it is delicious. It is a real American hero of a drink. So there you go. That is awesome. I love whiskey. So that's a, that is definitely a drink for me. Uh, thank you very much. That's awesome. I will totally make that and drink that. Uh, my wife got me a bunch of whiskey stuff for uh, Christmas. So yeah, I'm a big. I, I love drinking whiskey. So that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Man, that's right. Awesome. Well, another delicious cocktail from Brad and some delicious comics from you. So let's jump into the bit. I, I want to talk about just generally coordination. Oh, hold on, coordination first. You. Yeah. We talked to Daniel Warren Johnson about this a little bit about Transformers, but. Obviously, you're expanding and you're changing on it. So what is involved there behind the scenes when you're putting this stuff together? It's a lot of talking. Like I, I was curious <laughs> when you said I was one I was one half of it. And I'm like, who's the other half in your mind? Is it just Daniel? Because I'm like, dude, there's a lot of people. I mean, it, it's it's me, it's Daniel. You know, it's Robert Kirkman. It's mm-hmm. uh, Sean Makowitz, uh, who's the publisher of Skybound. And then obviously, like, Tom Riley, the artist on Duke. I mean, there's a lot of people that are involved in these conversations. And it's really just that it's a lot of us just you know it's like the coolest job in the world you get to hang out with your friends and talk about characters you like i mean like what is you know well, better than that i would say like i think there's you know with with characters like this i feel like in the past we there are comics about them and it feels like they're sort of just towing the line but it feels like this energon mm-hmm. universe that you guys are launching is going hard in every direction like it feels it, it's more emotionally intense it's it feels way. like the, the characters, the the heroes are losing at the start. Um, so, like, how did you sort of get those bigger swings to be the the launch point for these books? I mean, I think for all of us, we were already kind of obsessed with these properties before we we got the jobs. You know, like, I mean, for me, it's like I had been talking to Skybound about this book for years, like a long time ago. Like, I mean, I have a I have a, a, a four-year-old son who's like running around like a crazy person. And I was talking about this like long before he was born. Like wow. this is my third office since I started talking to them. So it's been like a <laughs> while, right? And you know, so for us, like with the idea of just going hard, I mean it all starts with Skybound. Like Skybound just had like a really good relationship with Hasbro. They 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 said like we want to go hard. Like we want to do really big ideas. And, you know, this is true when you come onto any property. It's like you want to go in it, you kind of have to take ownership a little bit. And when you're taking ownership of it, you have to be able to say, like, I'm going to do things that are going to make this mine. And, and the ability to kind of, like, you know, you want to add. Like, I always love adding. 
right? So you want to add, you want to take things, you want to go bigger with it. And Skybound really approached it with like, we have a plan, like a big plan. Mm. You know, we're not going to treat this as like a, a throwaway thing. This is really important. And actually, even before I like officially started working on it, um, that was something I heard from Skybound a lot. This is really important to us. And that's not to say that the people that had the license before, it wasn't important because you could see the body of work. It was clearly important to everybody and everyone that's worked on it was a, a big fan of it. We just approached it with like, you know, we all had a plan. And again, I was already obsessed with it. I had a notebook. I had a G.I. Joe notebook full of G.I. Joe ideas like a very long time ago. Oh, and so awesome. it was like when I when I met, when, when I started hearing the stuff that Robert wanted to do, it was very much in line with stuff I had already been thinking about. Like I had been thinking about like, if I have an opportunity to relaunch G.I. Joe, this is what I would do. These are the things that I've been obsessed about. And I've been, I was like parts of Cobra, parts of G.I. Joe that I was always curious about. And a lot of it really came down to the the origins of it, right? And like, how do these things start? And the fact that that's where they were kind of coming from, you know? Like, I mean, really early on, one of the early meetings, Robert, he called it like Ultimate G.I. Joe. And, mm-hmm. and that's how I was like, okay, I can obviously clearly wrap my head around that, right? Like, I understand exactly what, when you, when you say that, like, we all kind of know what that means. So it was like, okay, cool, we're approaching it from that level. And yeah, it's just a lot of talks, dude, like a lot of calls, a lot of meetings, just, but all of it is fun, man. Like all of it's just like throwing out ideas and being like, all right, I have this crazy thing. And then I tell them the crazy thing and they're like, Oh, that's awesome. Now what about this crazy thing? So it's <laughs> been, it's been really fun. Uh, it's funny with the, the GI Joe property. Cause I mean, for my side, it's all, I'm obsessed with GI Joe and like Daniel obsesses about the transformer stuff for, for years. I would hear that Robert loved transformers, right? Like I, I've heard, I've known this. this is like not a secret. Like Robert loved transformers and and Sean Mackowitz loves G.I. Joe. And so I always thought that's how it was going to be. It was going to be like Robert and uh, Daniel working on the Transformer side and me and Sean. But then once I started talking to Robert about it, I was like, oh, no, no. He's also obsessed about G.I. Yeah. Joe. <laughs> he also has like a whole a whole thing with that. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot of, yeah, a lot of His G.I. Joe notebook again, is also thick, I think, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, he he's uh, he's been awesome, though. He, he's I don't know. He's been really great to work with. Everybody has been. Like, we've all been having a lot of fun. Well, given that, given the obsession with G.I. Joe, why why was Duke the right character to kick off a miniseries to introduce G.I. Joe to the world? Because it's Duke. That's why. Well, I, yeah, I, all right. Uh, Never mind. You don't need to answer. Pete do you know this? One. No, but you know that <laughs> I, there's a joke answer that Robert hates that I say in public sometimes because I'm like, that's because Robert won it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, so. I come from G.I. Joe from a different angle, admittedly, right? Like, I came in from toys and cartoon, right? Like, my age, my age, I, I'm because of where I, like how old I am, I wasn't really coming into it from the comics uh, side of things, right? And Duke's popularity really began because of the cartoon, not because of the comics. And don't get me wrong, he became an important player in the comics, but he's not in the comics in the first, like, year and a half. Right. Like he wasn't this like the guy we know now of like, oh, Duke is the leader of G.I. Joe. That wasn't in the very beginning for the really when the mythology starts to build, it wasn't with that. So over the years, I've heard this argument and it's interesting. I, I still see it to this day where some people are like, yo, I love Duke. And some people are like, I hate Duke. Right. Like there's just mm. it's interesting to watch. And then it's funny now that I've said that in interviews, I've seen people be like, man, what's he talking about? I love Duke. And some people just jump in with like, I hate him. You know, so <laughs> it's like when we were coming at it, I was like, well, you know, 
he's an interesting point of view character, right? Like if we're starting at the beginning of the story, I think coming with somebody who is, for lack of a better phrase, a little bit of a blank slate, right? But we all know Duke. Like Duke is like the perfect soldier, right? Then I was like, oh, well, let's take this character, show this new universe through his point of view, which is much more grounded, right? Because like Boy Rouse is in space, Transformers, I mean, they're, they're Transformers. Like, you know, but for him to come at it from a very grounded point of view, but then also to break him down and build him up and then show why he is cool and then also show how he becomes the leader of G.I. Joe. It was like all of these pieces. That, that's that's really what made the decision to make it him. You know, it was like, but also, and Robert said this uh, from the very beginning, like we, we want there to be a bit of it being unpredictable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's why so we he don't. Might, he, might trans- is, he might transform into a truck as well. I mean, you don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but it's like you know you want to have these it's like um it's like how daniel like we're totally talking spoilers at this point it's like how daniel had bumblebee get killed in the first issue of transformers Mm -hmm. right it's it's stuff like that that you're like oh let's kind of surprise people take some twists and turns you know we could have just started off with like here's gi joe number one and just started it started there but i knew where i wanted to start where robert wanted to start you know where skybound was we were like no no let's start in a much more grounded small place and then get bigger from there and really start growing out this world and starting in you know this i i don't want to say a smaller place but a but a more grounded intimate place and that's what i'm able to do with duke like focus in on this one person's story in the beginning and then gradually introduce more and more of this world all through his point of view and it's been yeah it's really fun what's uh what's been really enjoyable uh, along the lines of what you're saying is it really does feel like a bunch of people got together who love gi joe and love transformers and kind of locked themselves in room and been like okay if we get to the keys to this what are we gonna do and uh it it just jumps off the page the passion the oh shit moments in this are 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 glorious and well earned uh i'm really excited to kind of dive into it and starting with duke just kind of made sense to me because if you're going to start off with gi joe it's like well what's duke doing and is Duke in this world? Because there is different GI Joes where Duke isn't kind of the head. So I think kind of like establishing this all early makes so much sense. Uh, I'm just so excited to kind of read each new thing. And the fact that Cobra Commander is coming down the pipeline is also very exciting. Um, yeah, I, and that I, book is book is super weird. It's so different. <laughs> I, I, oh, I tell cool. people this is a true story. And I tell it, listen, like. You know, I'm glad to hear you say that you like the oh shit moments because, like, my goal is every issue to have an oh shit moment. Like, I want a fist pumping, like, hell yeah moment in every every issue <laughs> of this that I do. Like, it's a priority for me uh, when I do this. Uh, when Cobra Commander, when I wrote Cobra Commander number one, I turned it in. You know, uh, Skybound was like, we have a couple notes, and mostly it was like, let's expand these scenes out, which was one of the it's one of the great parts about working with Skybound with this project was that was like, you know, looking at it and saying that this is good, but we have to extend out scenes, you know, like, so that means adding pages, which are like, you know, a, a note a writer, that you, like, yes. you never get is like, Hey, this is great. More, <laughs> oh, dude, more, more, always yeah. the more pages. No, but more pages. Like, listen, yeah. every, <laughs> every great. writer artist will be the opposite. Artists like, no, 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 no more pages, no more pages. But for writers, <laughs> they're like, yes, yes, more pages. Um, you know, uh, and it's funny, Tom King and I, the other day we were talking about this we were talking about page counts and Tom's always like more pages, more pages. And I'm always like, Yes, more pages, but I don't want to kill the artist. <laughs> Let's find a happy medium, whatever. So with, with Cobra Commander, when I turned in the script, 
I remember training it in and being like, okay, this is the moment. This is the test. This is mm-hmm. when I get the no. Like, this is when somebody comes in and is like, this is too much. You have to stop. Right. <laughs> you have to and stop. And <laughs> I, I turned it in. And, yeah. I mean, this, this happens every once in a while. Like, you'll turn a script in and somebody calls you and is like, you, you can't do any of this. Like, it does happen. <laughs> uh, and so I, I turned it in. And then you walk away. Like, that's how you do it sometimes. You got to be like, all right, cool. And I, as you are aware, I work on, like, way too many books. So sometimes I turn a script in, and I'm like, I'll think about that again next month. Got to work on this next month. Like, I, I got to go over here. Yeah. So when I turned it in, I was like, okay, any man now, somebody from Skybound is going to call me, and they're going to be like, dude, we got to, you can't do any of this stuff. And then, because uh, also Hasbro is going to look at it, right? And then Hasbro right. is the one, like, this is their this is their baby. You know, like, we're babysitting yeah. their baby, right? <laughs> so I'm waiting for them to come in and be like, you can't do this. And then Hasbro was like, no notes. Wow. Really? You got more Carry pages on. than no notes? That's like the... No notes. And so I was like, oh, dang, dude, this is, this is wild. All right, it's fun. And then same thing with each issue. Like every issue, I'm like, okay, this crazy thing is going to happen. This crazy thing is going to happen. This is going to be this like, oh, shit moment. And let's see what they do. And, and you know, they've been... They, they really trust us to really have fun with it. So Cobra Commander... Uh, it's very different people expect. It's definitely like a bit of a horror book. It's a little weird. It's very different than I think people are going to expect. Um, but dude, it's it's really fun. I have this dope Cobra Commander toy on my desk right now. This one. Oh, I love this one. It's pretty dope. This came with the His Tank that they had the HasLab thing. It's awesome. I have it over here. Um, he watches I have a lot of tra- I have right? a lot of GI Joe toys. Well, like you a have lot. a lot. Of- he watches me here with two. Yeah. You have a lot of amazing things behind you. That nerd wall is epic. Uh, you said keep it on the p- comments. I was going to say this to you. So, so two things with this room. This, this room is huge. My office is really big. Like I have like uh, a lounge in here, and I have a bunch of other stuff. But there's wow. so like this is the DC section, and I have like a Marvel section. Like I have all different stuff in here, and the GI Joe stuff is over here. But oh, wow. uh, one of the things I was going to say to you guys, I love your guys' backgrounds because it's like. Alex's background is like, I like Batman. Peace's background is like, I like comic books. And Justin's background is like, I'm the adult. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wish that was true. No, mine is I'm hiding from my children. (laughs) A little bit adult, I guess. Uh, I do want to mention about Cobra Commander Schreckler here in the comments is commenting on, it's different from what you would expect. Is it a kissing book? And I know he's making a joke here. I will say, we got to look at Cobra Commander earlier today. Uh, and uh, review thoughts are embargoed to a later date. Uh, but I will say, I agree. This is not what anybody is expecting for this book. I think is that in an exciting way. Yeah. Exciting I was, way. I was curious if you had read it. Cause I don't know. I know they sent some copies out, so I'm always curious about yeah. who's read what, when I talk to people, you know? So that's, I, um, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. They I'm won't, they told us like, to uh, embargo review thoughts until later. But uh oh, okay, cool. All right, is, no, all right, yeah. I told you it's, <laughs> it's uh, giving subtle thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, I, I mean, I think like it fun. also it has a different, it has a very different tone than Duke. Is the other part of it like there's something yeah. that you're going through with Duke in terms of it's a conspiracy thriller series, or at least the first issue. That's very much what it was. Like you're saying, this is a horror book, but. It's also, I think, something else as well. Again, I won't mm. spoil anything, but yeah. cool, cool well, I mean, differences. They're both, they're, they're, they were built to be parallel stories. Like it's about mm. two people 
going through similar circumstances and then they're reacting to those circumstances completely different because they're different characters. Mm. Like oh, Commander and Duke are that. two drastically different people. And when you look at both issue ones, they're both confronted with something and they both have missions to go on and they're going to handle it totally different. And that's yeah. a big piece of what we've been doing. And so, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear people think of it. You know, I, uh, I don't know. It's been fun. I mean, that's one thing about, it's been nice for us because like, this has been a secret for a very long time. Oh, wow. You know, it's like, this has been a secret for a long time. Like I actually, um, so I'm still exclusive to DC Comics, but I was able to get permission to do this. And I had to get that permission a, a long time ago. I was going to say, it must have been and, years and years ago. Yeah. And so we were able to, uh, you know, we, they've been working on this for a long time. And it was like, I, I always felt like it was one of comics' best secrets that Skybound was planning this and working on this and it was going to happen. And then, you know, so when it finally got revealed, they were doing this and we privately were all like, this is dope. Like I remember looking at stuff coming in and being like, this is amazing. Like you see Daniel's pages and it's like, Oh, this is this even real. Like, this is so yeah. cool, you know? And, uh, and just knowing what everyone was doing and like seeing the art, seeing the covers before anyone else. Right. Like just, just this private little group of people making comic books. And we were all so excited. And we hit that level where it's like, oh man, this we're all just just so pumped. And then when it got announced and books started coming out, and to see people are also as excited as it as we are, it has been awesome, but also like a relief. Like just, you know, yeah. and it, it is the best feeling when you're like working really hard on something and you you love it. And then you find out that people start loving it too. You're just like, oh man. You know, uh, it, it really it's uh, it's awesome. Like I'm I'm very thankful to everyone who's reached out to me and told me they like this stuff so far. Uh, we got a question here from the comments. Easy Reader says, will there any other Skybound characters cross over like from Firepower? You know, I can't really speak to anything that's like Skybound specific plans. You know, um, I, yeah, I can't really talk about anything that's like a Skybound specific, specific mm-hmm. plan. Uh, I can mostly only talk about what's going on within the books. Uh, but you never know. You know, well, like there's been let times me ask you, surprise me with stuff. So. <laughs> well, let yeah. me ask you about this then. I know you're also probably not going to tell us you have two more miniseries that are coming out of the Energon universe. I know you're not going to tell us what those are. Probably. Oh, yeah, I can't tell you what those are. <laughs> Do you know when we will know more yeah, about them potentially? What today? What day is today? No, uh, it, I, I don't know for sure. I can't say. Yeah, I can't say. Dude, they, I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard this before, but like for a really long time, when I, even when the books were announced, I wasn't allowed to talk about anything happening in G.I. Joe. Like mm. every interview I did about the stuff, so even when they announced everything and we were at San Diego, I was just sitting there and they were like, don't say anything. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, just say you're excited. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I can't talk about Duke. I can't talk about Cobra Prime. They're like you definitely can't talk about Cobra Commander. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's uh they're very protective of it, you know. Like, and, and I appreciate that because I do believe that like one of the, my favorite parts of comics is surprises. Sure. You know? yeah. Like I love surprises in comics, you know. And I think having surprises in comics can be hard to come by sometimes. So I understand why they're very protective of, of stuff like that. And so yeah, I can't really reveal anything. Especially when you kept a secret for years and years. So you're clearly our uh, hardened, Yeah, I had literally uh, shielded. The day, the day it was announced, I had multiple people who I talked to on an often basis. So like Scott Snyder, Tom King, people who I'm friends with were like, what? 
years ago yeah no they were like what and then you find out all these people are love gi joe and love transformers that you didn't know and they have all these opinions on it i had creators being like yo i have a whole gi joe pitch i gotta show you like <laughs> it's it was one of those things where it was like it unleashed but i didn't tell a soul because i really was like no we gotta keep this we gotta keep this mm-hmm. tight and keep it secret so i i respect the fact that skybound is really good about keeping secrets like i i love that about them Awesome. Cool. Uh, well, listen, I know we got to let you go in a second. These books are so good. Well, mm-hmm. one of them, the other one, Review TBD. Yeah, um, we haven't said We haven't said what it was audio-wise or anything like that. We haven't, yes. Visually, yes, we haven't given any. Uh, visually, I don't know, but we haven't given We're not any embargoed any. from thumbs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but any, I know you have a million other titles. We've been loving everything else you've yeah. been doing. Superman has been so good in particular, yeah. and can't oh, wait to see you. what's coming up in that. But what else do you want to plug, if anything? Is there anything else people should be checking out? I mean, you know, uh, I, I still have a book uh, called Dark Ride of Skybound. You know, it's a horror book, um, you know, that is still coming out. Um, we're we're going to be wrapping it up soon. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on the end of that right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in the DC stuff, you know, I still love writing Green Arrow, Superman, and uh, Batman and Robin. Like, I, you know, I know I like, I'm writing a lot of books right now, but I'm actually really happy with everything I'm doing. So I hope people will check them out. And, you know, I'm, I'm just glad you are liking the books, you know, and anyone that's watching, thank you so much for supporting the books and for buying them. Awesome. Uh, I just have one question about Dark oh. Ride. I was a huge Birthright yeah. fan. Yeah. And I feel like that, that had like, it was like the story and then the twist. And it feels like Dark Ride, you're like, you yeah. like twists in the last one? Buckle up. I'm doing exclusively twists. <laughs> and now, now you're working yeah. on the end. Is that is that the intention? And yeah. how many more twists do you have coming for us? I have a few more twists. Uh, it's funny. Like, when I was doing Birthright, that was, you know, it was much more about family and about, like, you know, how your life can change on you unexpectedly. But it was very much fantasy and family merged together. But when I was doing Nailbiter, Nailbiter was always like grindhouse craziness. And Mike oh, and I were obsessed with cliffhangers, right? Like we were obsessed with cliffhangers and doing crazy shit. And so when I started doing Dark Ride, I kind of merged those two things together a bit where it's like, this is a book about family, but it's also this like screwed up family, you know? Mm-hmm. It's about it's about screwed up family. It's about horror. It's about what even is scary today. It's about the amusement park. But then also it's me just being like, how can I surprise people? How can I make twists? How can I throw curveballs? And so it's, it's that it's actually one of the hard. It's probably the hardest book uh, I write is Dark Ride right now. It's the same with Birthright. I think I told you before with Birthright, I, I would take forever to write the scripts. It's the same way with Dark Ride. It's the hardest book for me to write because I feel very passionate about it and like it's very personal to me. And so I spent a lot of time putting work into that. So yeah, I hope people check out. I mean, it's like you know with DC, I love everything I'm doing there, and I'm really happy with it. But yeah, I, I hope people check out more Dark Ride and check out the trades that are out right now. I love it. I mean, my pitch that I'll throw to you, which I know you have no control over, but every issue, I think, guys, I've said when we've reviewed this book, uh, it should be a horror house at Universal Horror Nights. Like, that, I would love to just walk through a dark ride house. That would be so much fun. Yes. I think about this a lot because, (laughs) as you know, like, I'm obsessed with that stuff. I love that Uh, stuff. So I'm like, that would be, like, the dream. I was really jealous that... um, in Australia, at the Universal Studios in Australia for Hollywood Horror Nights, they built a deceased maze for DC. Oh, did they really? Oh, that's, that's so awesome. cool. Yeah, and they built a deceased maze, and they had the comic pages all blown up and stuff. 
And oh, Tom Taylor, wow. if you check out Instagram, Tom Taylor did a whole thing when he went to go visit it, and it was awesome. And I was super jealous of that. I was like, that is, dude, that is the raddest thing. Yeah. You know, at one year, um, I'll leave you on this, that uh, one year uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, they built a maze dedicated to a Court of Owls outside of San Diego Comic-Con. Did you know about this? Right. Yes. No. yes, yes. I remember that. Dude, and and they built the whole like there's that scene at the beginning of, of Scott and Greg's run where he goes oh, yeah. around the fountain and stuff like that was built. Yeah. They built it. You had to walk around That's it, holy and there were crap. people in suits wearing the mask coming out to scare you. Oh my! For God. us, we were like, this is amazing. But I remember telling Scott about it, and he didn't know about it. And then watching him come out of it, and he's like, that is the most surreal they built something that was like a thing i had to walk through yeah that him and greg built and he was like that's the that was super surreal and weird but it was just an amazing experience like he was like i want to go through it again just to like look at stuff you know not a haunted house but yeah i I, uh i think at some point in my life i'm gonna end up building some kind of dark ride i feel like that's my destiny at some point i'm gonna have to do something (laughs) yeah just make a deal with the devil it's fine no big deal yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. I was, I was, uh, every time I go through Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland, I think about how I'm like, well, this is just flat. Like, it's all flat art. It's not, uh, mm-hmm. not all of it is, but it's not animatronics. It's mostly just flat art. It's one of the few rides left that's like that. And I'm like, you could build this. <laughs> it's like a comic. It's basically a comic. <laughs> it's really fun. Except for when you go into hell in the ride. When you go to hell in the ride, there's a big dragon and there's animatronics in that. But anyway, yeah. So Dark Ride, we'll buy Dark Ride. Awesome. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Great chatting with you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. I got to get back to work. All right. I will. uh, Good good luck with the show and everything. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. There we go. Once again, that's Joshua Williamson. You can check out Duke number two is hitting January 31st. Cobra Commander number one, which we have no opinion on, is January 17th. Not Not yet. yet. Opinion coming later. In the meantime, we have an opinion, a good opinion, of this next creator that we're going to be talking to (laughs) and his amazing book. He is the guy behind Death Strikes, the Emperor of Atlantis, Dave Moss. Dave, welcome to the show. Hello. 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 Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your patience in waiting. I'm very excited to talk about this book. This is a fascinating project. It's a fascinating graphic novel. Um, I'm going to get some of the continuity wrong, but let me throw it out there and then you tell me what I missed. But basically, (laughs) back around 1943-ish, I believe, there were two guys living in a concentration camp slash ghetto called Terrazin. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Terrazin. Terezin in yeah. Czechoslovakia. And this was essentially a, this is a terrible way of saying it, but a promotional concentration camp where they're like, hey, everything's actually fine. People are allowed to make art. These two guys made a bunch of art, including pieces of an opera that was frequently revised, and then they died. However, you have taken a lot of that material and formed it together into a graphic novel. What did I miss, Dave? And how did you... How did you end up putting together this project? <laughs> How did you get to this point? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you got it pretty well. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, I would say about maybe like 20 years or so ago, uh, long before people were using the internet and you had to learn about stuff by going to big box stores at the mall, I was wandering around a Best <laughs> Buy in Phoenix, Arizona, technically Paradise Valley, Arizona. And this... Um, this collection, it was actually the sampler of music that had been suppressed by the Nazis just jumped off my, off the shelf at me. It had this cover that was designed by Art Spiegelman, 
I was just this mall mm. punk into, you know, Offspring and Pennywise and stuff like that. And I had no idea that there were these other genres of music that were just rebellious. Took it home, became obsessed with it. And particularly this one opera called uh, Der Kaiser von Atlantis by Victor Ullman and Peter Keene that is just the wildest, most modern, dark, mm. but like like also comedic thing that you've ever like seen or listened to on its own. It was just incredible. But then you learn this backstory about how this was just a big, you know, punch in the nuts to the Nazis at the time that this was the last act of, of, of rebellion by these two creators. And, you know, this is just stuck with me. I think I, first time I mentioned, I wanted to make a graphic novel out of this may have been maybe about 2001. And so this has oh, been, wow. you know, a couple of decade process mm. trying to make this happen and turn it into something, uh, which I can show you the hard copy, which I don't think you've seen before, but yeah. here it is here. Ooh. It's a beautiful Ooh. little object. Wow, look at that. I think there are only three of these around, although I did get a notice from FedEx that there is a, <laughs> a box from Dark Horse arriving in the mail tomorrow. Uh, oh, that's with, so exciting. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm today and then we could you know open it together but, Ooh, an uh, unboxing video yeah you know what, bring it up with fedex you know they're yeah. not I'll, I'll talk to them we talk to them all the time on this show um yeah. i i do want to take like a little step back before we get into the book because i don't think it's a direct line between finding an album in best buy and saying this needs to be a graphic novel why was that the thought that occurred to you why was the graphic novel the format the right uh, way of translating this um, oh, so a couple of things. Um, and it's hard to talk about without getting into the plot a little bit. So maybe I can talk a little bit about yeah, that for first. Sure. So yeah. this is a this is a, a, a this dystopian satire that imagines a world, uh, an alternative universe where Atlantis never sank and instead became this huge warring superpower controlled by this evil dictator who's obsessed with technology named Emperor Overall. And one day, Emperor Overall, having conquered the rest of the world, decides, hey, I'm out of people to conquer. Let's just declare all out war, everybody against everybody. And the Grim Reaper himself, death is sitting in the wings, hears that he's already exhausted from having to deal with tanks and missiles and bombs and machine guns anyways. And he hears this thing about everybody having to fight everybody else. And he decides to go on strike and he goes on strike, creating this hellscape of the living dead. And that's kind of where the story takes off. Um, so you hear operas, you think like, you know, Viking helmets and braids, you think convoluted stories with five hour romances. What you don't think about is this dystopian fantasy. Somehow there's like Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman elements in there. There's mm -hmm. some, yeah. you know, zombie stuff going on. Like how did this become an opera? And, you know, 20 years ago, I'm thinking about this. I mean, I don't have like, the wherewithal to go and produce, you know, like a, a 10 part series. I know we were talking about, you know, Robert Kirkman in the previous group. I'm not him and neither was he <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, but graphic novel is a medium that really works in terms of being able to take something very imaginative that would take a ton of special effects to produce in a, you know, cast of thousands or whatever, and actually, you know, adapt it. But one of the reasons that it works so well is that it turns out that the, the poet who wrote it, Peter Keene, actually was an illustrator on top of being a writer. So he's he's drawing all of these things. He's writing all of these things. And we actually found a comic that he drew about the production of this opera, illustrating how frustrated he was with all of the edits it went through. And you'll actually find that comic in the back of the book. And so I think why it works so well, um, it naturally is because 
we're dealing with source material that um, is based on somebody who has those sensibilities already. Mm. Uh, has this so opera ever? Has this opera ever been men mounted? Like, is there a performance that has? Yeah. Ever happened? So, so the opera kind of disappeared for from about 1943 to the mid 1970s. There was somebody who rescued it, who kept it in his attic or something. It's really unclear why he never handed it to anybody else until yeah. the 70s. <laughs> um, but the guy who rescued it, who had also been in the concentration camp, passed it over and found this this British conductor and composer to piece it together and try to make an opera out of it. And so the first time it was staged was in the 1970s. The BBC made a very, um, I would say somewhat campy adaptation of it. They ran on television. I You can't find it anywhere. I went to a library to see it in uh, in Basel, Switzerland. Um, wow. But, but it is usually produced maybe like once a year. There'll be huh. some place, you know, you know, some uh company will will stage it and so if you're lucky enough you'll be in that city at that time and your night will be free and you'll get to go see this this brief little opera i saw it in the early 2000s at arizona state university when they produced it there are some versions of it on youtube but you know in the end it's like a great story but unless you're versed in the medium of opera uh, or can appreciate German, <laughs> you're not necessarily <laughs> going to get the full, like, you know, res it's not going to resonate with you as strongly. So taking it to this other right. medium is going to give it a wider audience and take this story and help people connect with it a lot, a lot uh, differently. Well, one thing, and I, I haven't seen the other versions, so I don't know if this is true, but I was really struck by when I was reading through it is... Like you're saying, it does have this very Terry Pratchett, Terry Gilliam, all the Terry's type tone to it. Every it's tip. very satirical. I was super surprised to learn in the back matter that you have this emperor character, but it's not supposed to be Hitler. And the situation, obviously, it was before they really knew the full scope of what was going on in the concentration camp, so they're not dealing with that. But it does feel like either through the script or the art or the coordination there, that you make that a little more blatant because from the first couple of pages, you have this very cabaret style character wandering through the streets as there's piles of bodies there against the wall of what clearly looks like a concentration camp, more like an Auschwitz perhaps than a Terrazin or something like that. Um, what, correct me if I'm wrong about it, first of all, but what led to that choice if that is what you were going for? Well, what we were actually going for, so, so everything that you see in the book is, is taken from some sort of artifact or architecture mm. or some sort of drawing. Like we mm. went out to, to Czech Republic, we photographed everything, we visited all the museums, wow. we met with all sorts of experts and we grabbed, you know, we, we were able to find artwork by Peter Keene. And so we were very careful about making sure that the book and the artwork of the book reflected real places, real locations. And so when you look at Terezin, when you look in the first few pages, you see this very angular huge walls sort of, you know, place. And that's what Terezin looked like. Like this ghetto concentration camp, they actually took this fortress town. The Nazis took this fortress town that existed for more than a hundred years before they came in and invaded Czech Republic. Um, and so we took that, we built it out a little bit more. We added some more details to it, but everything in there is based on something we actually saw. Um, you know, Emperor overall has this tower. We were looking for like, what should this tower look like? How are we going to invent this tower? And we went, we did look at these Nazi flak towers as they're called. So Hitler had built these really ugly towers, um, uh, you know, as, as battle armament. And so we use that as the structure to build, um, you know, where this 
this emperor lives. So what it reflects is us grabbing, if it, if it connects to, to Hitler and the Nazis, it's because we grabbed architecture and historical artifacts from the time. But you're right. Those, uh, those guys who were in Terezin, they knew the Nazis were terrible. They did not know the full plan of, of, you know, the third Reich. In fact, nobody knew what the full plan was of the third Reich until the Nuremberg trials and all the stuff, all the pieces started coming together about how horrible the Holocaust was. Yeah. And I, I don't say this dismissively at all, but there's nothing really subtle about the satire they're doing there. Was the point when they were doing this, was it to really rail on the Nazis and put it out there? Or were they hoping that they wouldn't get the very light subtext that's under the set? Under the oh, I, I don't. Th I think these two guys were just fearless and uncompromising mm. and they wanted to see what they could get away with. So there are various versions that survived the Holocaust. In fact, there's three that we were able to look at. One was a handwritten libretto. One was the handwritten wow. score. And then there's this typed version. And the typed version is very clearly the one that went through the, the camp censors, where somebody looked at oh, it and said, this so is too, interesting. Yeah, this is too close to, to Hitler. We're going to change it from emperor to the king. We don't like that you have these rebels, so we're going to change them to bandits. We don't want, you know, like they, they changed, made all these things and really really uh, uh, dulled it down quite a lot. Um, and so it's interesting to be able to see the progression of, of the text. So, you know, like I do, I do think that, you know, they weren't pulling any punches when it came to the Nazis, but they were also weren't pulling any punches with the irreverence for the situation that they were in. They, mm -hmm. you know, they were facing death every day and they were like, we're going to make humor out of this. And I have a feeling that it was even probably a little bit much for other people in the camp to, to look at because it really, I mean, it's very darkly comedic in a way that kind of makes you uncomfortable sometimes. Um, yeah. I do think that's though a little bit, not to speak out of turn, but a little bit part of Jewish humor in a certain way. Like, I don't think it necessarily goes as far into that, but I, I assume you're, probably familiar with the stories of Helm. I don't know if other people listening to the podcast necessarily are, but it's basically a town full of stupid people. And that's the whole joke. <laughs> and it's just all these fables type stories about the ridiculous things they do, but it comes out of darkness. Same thing with like the stories of the golem and other things. So I do think that is a very deep down Jewish humor thing to push against these things harder and embrace the darkness and push farther against them. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what we were trying to go for in it. So I'm glad if you picked up on that in our, yeah. in our book. Uh, I have a question about the, the censor that I'm so, it's so interesting. The, the idea that they were censoring it, but they still were like, but this is good. We just wanted to have a couple notes. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny slash strange to me. Did anything from that censored script influence your writing of the, your making of the book uh, over the course of it? Not, not particularly. And I, and I should note that it's unclear how the censorship worked. So, I mean, keep in mind that, that, you know, the way the Nazis structured this camp is that they set up this, this kind of self-government, as they called it, where there were this council of Jewish elders who were in charge of administrating a lot of stuff. But these Jews were basically charged with enforce, enforcing Nazi edicts or everybody would be punished. And so probably what happened is that this document, the script had to go in front of other, you know, Jewish officials who were looking at this and being like, well, you know, what's going to happen if we don't censor this? Are, you know, right. Nazis going to come in with clubs and beat us all? So they came in and they were like, let's just try to get this as, um, you know, 
you know, as bare minimum as possible where we can, we can keep the script. No, we didn't keep any of that. I was really looking for what was the original intent. Uh, and so we went really back um, to the, the score and the original handwritten libretto itself. We were working off those to really, you know, get to the core and to... When you open the book, you're going to find in this back this comic at where it shows, you know, the author Peter Keene has this version of death of what he thought death mm -hmm. should look like, and it illustrates this is death, this imposing, you know, scary figure. And then over the course of six panels, the composer comes in, it trims a little bit of the robe, the conductor comes in, it adjusts the hat, sensor comes in and knocks off the hat, but eventually, like. By the end, he is just sort of illustrated that this version looks like a ballerina at the point that death is no longer a scary figure. And we were like, we want to get back to that scary figure. We want to be very conscious that if there was a seventh panel that illustrated our graphic novel, we wanted that seventh panel to look more like the beginning. Like we were right. returning it back to, you know, giving it the teeth and the bite and the criticism that uh, that was originally intended. Uh, now. I'm going to be, I think this question is going to be teeing you up a little bit for something that you talk about in the back matter. I don't know if you've seen Zone of Interest yet, the movie uh, that's out, where, for anybody who doesn't know, this also deals with Holocaust and World War II. It's set at Auschwitz instead of Terrazin, but it's about the head of Auschwitz who lived with his family right outside of the concentration camp. Without getting too much into that movie, there is a very important moment that happens in there about people creating art in the middle of Auschwitz. Tying it into this, I'm wondering why you think this is bubbling up now. And part of it might just be coincidence that you have your graphic novel, Zone of Interest is out, and it's part of the conversation. But why do you think it is that folks in the modern era in 2024 are so focused on talking about this art that came out of this very dark period of human history. Hmm. I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, we're about 80 years out, right? So we're hitting some major anniversaries and we're now losing uh, all of the living memory of it. There, there's you know, only a handful of survivors left from Terrazine, only a handful left from Auschwitz. And in another five to 10 years, there won't be anyone. And so there is a bit of a push right now to make sure that things are preserved. And you, there are, you know, various polls and surveys that are done by Pew and anybody else that is starting to show that, you know, youth have no idea about the Holocaust. They have no idea what World War II was like. And that's starting to scare people and that, that we're losing this, you know, memory as, as a culture. And so I think that might be pushing it a little bit. I don't know if that's, really necessarily why this book is out there. I mean, I was looking towards the the anniversary of the book, um, but, you know, this is, if I could have put this out 10 years ago, I would have put it out 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, um, you just have to look at where you are in your career and when you're able to get it all together. So, yeah. Um, what else, what else, if anything, do you want to say about this book? I know we've covered a bunch of things here, but is there anything people should be paying attention to when they read it, things that might be under the radar that they might cat not catch up on uh, that you think are important to point out? Hmm, yeah. Well, one thing I like to just sort of emphasize to people, because when we're talking about, you know, a book like this and you start talking about the Holocaust, people go to a, a certain place and they start thinking about Mouse and they start thinking about the Diary of Anne Frank. And I just want to, I don't want people to get in that headspace and think that this is like a Mouse book. Like this 
it's going to be a closer to like a Neil Gaiman kind of book than it yeah, is yeah. going to be an Art Spiegelman mouse kind of book. And, you know, Karen Berger was our editor on this and it's coming under her imprint. And so hopefully that this is not a, you know, a Pantheon book or anything like that. This is very much a comic that if you like comics and not necessarily nonfiction comics, you're going to be into this. It's literary, but it is, it is fantastical. Um, but as you're going through it, like this is designed for you to be able to read it multiple times. I think it probably only takes like 45 minutes to an hour to get through it for the first time, but you're going to miss so much on that. When you start looking at the, the background of the panels, you start seeing the details. Each one has some sort of meaning and connection um, to something in history. Um, and I think that's, I hope when people read it though, that they lose for a moment as they're going through it, the backstory of it, and they actually get lost in the story mm. itself. Yeah. And then when they think about where it came from, it gives them that sort of added punch of depth because our source material was so strong that it should work on its own as a narrative. It should work on its own yeah. as a story. And you shouldn't have to be like, well, you know, Holocaust, you know, it's concentration camps. And you'd be like, no, there's, there's a story here that you can, you know, a world that you can enter and feel like you're a part of. Yeah. That's well, great. I having read it, I definitely think it works on yeah. that level. It is, uh, it feels a weird thing to say with a Holocaust book, but it's a fun book to read. You know, yeah. Well, it, but the context adds much, yeah. so much after you you've read it as well, like it, yeah. and and over the course of it. And, and that's why we didn't put up an essay up front of the book. Yeah. Like, I mean, exactly. you, you get to the essay in the back, and that's we didn't want to. Over, we had to give you some background at the beginning, but we didn't want to overload you with academic stuff until you got to the back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, great book, uh, Dave. Absolutely love it. Congratulations on it. Congrats. And uh, good luck. I'm looking forward to the rest of the world checking it out. Thanks. If I can maybe want to say one more thing. If you yeah, are please. in the, uh, the Southern California area, uh, we'll be doing an event at Warwick's on February 1st in San Diego, California, or La Jolla. Oh, nice. La Jolla is part of San Diego, but they feel like they're different. Um, <laughs> and then and then if you're in the Los Angeles area on February 4th, we'll be doing a, an actual formal book launch at the Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles. Oh, awesome. Great. Uh, very cool. Dave, thank you so much again for coming on. Have a lovely night. Thank you for having us. Great, Dave. Great book. All right. There we go. Once again, the book is called The em Death Strikes, The Emperor of Atlantis. It's out from Dark Horse Comics on January 24th from Burger Books. As mentioned, Karen Burger, Legendary of Vertigo. Yeah. So definitely check it out. It is great stuff. And folks, we're going to move on with our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It's your audience questions. Yeah. And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question on Facebook, YouTube, or X slash Twitter, or Twitch. One of those, not Instagram. They haven't figured that out yet. Oh, not but the gram. Not the gram. Actually, we do have people chatting on the gram, but it's a little harder for me to... Like go back to get in that get it get, get in that oral hands is get that in that is? that's right but I'll I'll check out the gram see if there's anything popping okay <laughs> sweet meanwhile what are you guys drinking I am still drinking this Yo Joe which is very delicious oh Yo Joe what a great name yeah. mm -hmm. by the way Limoncello that's one of the Joes right Pete Limoncello yeah. no yeah, Limoncello Lemoncello is there the Italian uh, yeah, yeah, right? Who came? Knock and knock. Said, who's there? Hey, what got a big of the pizza? Knock no, knock. Why? Who's there? Landshark. <laughs> Landshark. Okay. Justin, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I made myself Landshark. a 
I made myself a Negroni with a Habernero infused Aperol that I made the other night. And man, it is good. Who are you? I'm a fancy man at home. (laughs) I'm a fancy man at home is what I am. Congratulations. Uh, we got a question here from Easy Reader. Have any of you watched Echo no, yet? No, I should be doing that right now, but we're it's, not on, it's not on until 9 p.m. It's not even 8 p.m. yet. 6 p.m. No, 6 p.m. PT. It's PT, 9 p.m. ET. PT, that's your time zone. PT. Pete. Your personal time zone. PT stands for personal time zone. I have seen the first three episodes. I know Pete's not going to want to hear my opinion. Do you want to take off your headphones, Pete? No, don't say anything, you fuck. I, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. All right, fine. Yeah. Um, not great. Uh, I think it's the action. People are going to really like that because it's like very reminiscent of the Marvel Netflix shows. Alakwa Cox, great as the lead. The rest of the cast is really good, but you can feel the choppiness from the editing, which is something that you should never feel when you're watching a TV show. There were a lot of rumors that it was eight episodes down to five, but whether that's true or not, you can feel that like the first episode spoilers, I guess, but it's legit like a clips reel for Hawkeye for most of the running time, which is insane. Well, so yeah, I think it's heavily re-edited. That makes that tracks with that. Um, But I also, cause I also, I feel like they changed the tone of it from like perhaps a more Mm -hmm. Hawkeye tone to this harsher Marvel spotlight or MCU spotlight. It's a bummer because I think a lot of the pieces are there and the idea of having indigenous voices in there, putting hearing impaired people to the front, um, all of that, it's very well-intentioned. It's good, but it just, again, based on three episodes, it doesn't quite come together, which is... Which is a bummer, but I'm going to watch the last two. Pete, you can put back on your headphones. There we go. Yeah, I'm saying to watch it either way. Yeah, you haven't seen the go. whole fucking thing. No one wants to hear your opinion yet. I mean, clearly at least one person did. So there you go. Pete doesn't want to hear the opinion. In fact, he doesn't. He didn't do it. Yeah. Edward Doherty says, which comic characters remind you most of Nat Townsend? Oh, that's Ooh. a great question. Uh, Nat Townsend, of course. Kind um, of like uh, the question a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Riddler? He's, the Riddler? Yeah, yeah, he's like that annoying background guy that's not quite the main mm. villain, but he's kind of keeps popping in every once in a while. You know what I mean? You mean the Riddler from like Batman 66 who's like spinning his staff and traveling <laughs> the whole time? Yeah, yeah, he puts flair on it. You know mm. what I mean? He's like the third member of the Royal Flush Gang. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> wow. These are some of the heaviest roasts we've had on this show in quite some time. And he's not even here to defend himself. Yeah. Oh, he's here. Stray Bullet said, listening. what is Justin's shirt? I think I know oh. it, but it's like a vague memory. Great call. Black Gold, a uh, coffee shop and record store over on Court Street in uh, Carroll Gardens area of Brooklyn. Glad it said uh, record store as well. Speaking of record stores, Scheuchler says, what are your favorite comic book themed albums or what comic book should have an album made? Uh, I don't know if this is specifically comic book themed and I don't have it yet, but they put on pre-sale the Scott Pilgrim takes off vinyl album of the soundtrack and it comes with a bunch of memorabilia, including slight spoiler for the show, but a playbill for Matthew Patel's show. And I was like, oh, oh <laughs> order no. uh, click. Yes. I'll <laughs> yes. take, take my money now, please. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Um, I mean, Scott Pilgrim, the animated show or the, the book is a great idea for a yeah. themed album. 
The movie um, soundtrack, also great. I feel like I'm trying to think. Pete, what do you think? Mouse card? I'm thinking in the epic fantasy, Ooh, like mm-hmm. uh, Led Zeppelin. Well, uh, that like makes me think Mountain of Murder Top. Falcon. Murder Falcon. Oh, uh, Murder Falcon album would be good. Oh, yeah, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Play along uh, we got one more here from Edward Doherty. Have you seen on Twitter people comparing traditional flat colors with modern colors? What are your thoughts? And color is spelt with a U. Yes. I have not seen this conversation at all. That's an interesting one, though. What do you guys think about that? Flat colors versus modern colors? Well, I think, I mean, I, I also haven't seen this, but I would imagine, I mean, the color palette and the digital color palette is so different than the three color funnies as they were mm-hmm. known back in the day four color right or four, four color, color i guess yeah. well i mean three color before that before yeah. they got to the fourth two colors first <laughs> then it was one just color harder, just black harder. originally it was just like a wash of black on a page no like, no images figure this out true believers <laughs> he'd come to your house because you also couldn't read the words he'd be like i'm in your house i was stan lee <laughs> Uh, I think there's a place for both of them, right? Like, I, I'm thinking specifically of Birds of Prey, which obviously mentioned the same thing, which is yeah, yeah. It uses modern coloring techniques, but with a tone of the traditional flat colors, and I think there's an appeal for both of them. I don't know. It depends. On I think it, doing it. it's more more opportunity to match the the work you're doing to the type of story you're telling. Like Birds of Prey, I think is such a strong artistic choice that we love. But other other more like modern looks, I think, have sort of that there was more of a grayscale, more of a like palette to it throughout. Yeah, the grayscale, the black and white comics. That's where the real story is. You know what I mean? What? Mm-hmm. You only like two colors. It's simpler. <laughs> yeah. I like Are you colorblind, more, Pete? And at least one black of them isn't gray. even a color, technically. Yes. Uh, you are colorblind. Mm-hmm. There, there you go. go. Frederico Rosa, what it says, what is your favorite mythology adaptation in comics? Mythology adaptation. Fables. Oh, Incredible Hercules. <laughs> yeah, Hercules wow. is great. That's not a <laughs> adaptation. <laughs> That's a stretch of an adaptation. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I don't think I don't remember what the specific content was, but I used to love the actual original classics illustrated back in the day my dad had a mm. box of them from when he was a kid and i would there lived at my grandmother's house at every single family holiday i would just sit there i'd read through all the classics illustrated read through all of his bad magazines that was the best yeah wow i i have two answers for this the uh, wonder woman when we get into the real like the george perez mm. uh, the mm-hmm. famed george perez run i think is very mythologically based that's very cool. Cliff Chang's but, run also. Uh, Cliff Chang also um, had a lot of uh, that more modernized, but definitely uh, bringing those characters uh, forward. But I'll throw out that maybe the most adapted version would be the Peter David Incredible Hulk Pantheon, which brought Ooh. those characters uh, in a somewhat nonsensical way to the modern world as Hulk's buddies. Hmm. All right, I think we got one last question here. Actually, this is from Edward again. I have a 16-month-old. What is the very first comic you gave your children? Hmm. Very first comic I gave my children. Well, I can say the first comic that I gave my niece is hmm. uh, she. we went to the comic book store, and uh, she picked out a Gwenpool 
comic that I was crazy disappointed in. Uh, (laughs) but she read the crap out of it so i was happy but i was like you sure you don't there are all these other great characters oh man what a bummer bummer. yeah also that's a pretty extreme character deep continuity (laughs) to really present to a child uh the uh, wonder woman again we gotta we have a like more of a kid's book less comic that is like uh, but like Batgirl, Wonder Woman, Bumblebee, a lot of the female DC superheroes, like uh, just being powerful. And so that got my kids into Wonder Woman. And then we've um, gone to the comic store and picked up uh, some other Wonder Woman comics. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't remember what was the first one. I know. Hmm. While you're thinking, can I just follow up with Justin real quick? Yeah, uh, sure. Justin, did you take him to a comic slash bagel shop, or which comic book shop did you go to? Slash bagel shop. No, well, I'm making went... fun of your coffee slash, uh, you know. Hey, I don't know this business. Sure. It's just the way they do it. It's nice. You get people into the coffee and sell them some records. Great business model. This place has been open for like a decade in in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. That's great. Uh, Enough with the commercial. I answer my oh, fucking uh, question. But yes, no, I no. did go to a, look. There they are dressed as Wonder Women. Um, I handmade those costumes uh, last year. I remember year. the first one. It was uh, Small Favors was the first book. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> what, what was the comic like. shop, though? What shop did you take them to? Uh, what, is this? Like, are you trying to bust me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you doing? What <laughs> is this? Uh, there's, this uh, there's this comic book store in uh, Crown Heights that I believe is called Nowhere Comics. That mm. is uh, anyone great. comics. Anyone. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and they just uh, they just move locations. <laughs> there oh, they're keeping you guessing. They're keeping yeah. you guessing. And Pete, you're going to keep us guessing with the next section, which is trivia. And well, before that, I got to trivia. Ch- I was, uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but I found, I was going through all my comics and I found uh, oh, yeah. Todd, Todd McFarlane uh, sent me uh, something that I found in my, my old comics that I was going, going through these boxes. What's crazy is I'm, you can't tell, but I'm taking boxes off the shelf and I'm reorganizing, alphabetizing everything. It's, a, it's an insane. absolute nightmare. Do you know, I've pulled off maybe like, 10 boxes off these shelves so far two of two out of 10 i have f- two full boxes of just wolverine comics like i couldn't believe all the damn why, wolverine comics why are you mad that's i'm that's not mad tracked. i just couldn't i can't believe it so that anyway tracks so I, that is the that is the most thing that i could ever believe in my entire life <laughs> oh, okay. i believe more than that surprised. than um, my family and always have all right so i wrote uh I wrote in to Spawn Comics Spawn the Dark Ages a fan letter. And what then year I got, is this? What year is this? Okay, so I moved to New York City in 99. This is either like 00 or 01. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. You're writing into Spawn. I was writing to Spawn. And then I got this letter in the mail from Todd McFarlane Productions, 123rd Street, baby. That's where wow. I used to live. Wow, people are going to visit that address, Pete. You know that, right? To be like, that's yeah. Pete's ancestral oh, you homestead. You go see yeah. the bodega on the corner. And tell them Pete sent you. I bet they They'll still remember you. Up. Wait, what did they you order? Like, what was your go-to order at the bodega on the corner? Uh, chopped cheese laid out flat, no bun, macaroni salad on top. Called it an improvised garbage plate. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not my chopped cheese order, but chopped cheese was my go-to. But in the uh, in the morning, the breakfast sandwich was uh, ham, egg, and cheese, uh, hot sauce. Wow. And clem, clem ham, egg, and cheese, the least ordered amongst New Yorkers, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I got this. This came in there. And then Ooh, so it's signed for anybody listening. It's a baseball signed by Todd McFarland. Not a baseball. It's a it's a postcard about a plug for the McFarland collection. Right, uh, but didn't yeah. he like he famously collected baseballs or yeah. something he, like that? And he collected all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then I got this letter that was the letter uh, signed from Susie Thomas, Todd McFarlane Productions. That's the what? end of the letter. Start at the beginning of the letter. No, I know, but I said that's what was signed by. <laughs> that's fine. That's still the end. Start at the beginning. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, here's the date right here. May 16, 2000. Wow. Dear Pete, thank you for your great letter. I want to let you know that your letter was selected for the upcoming issue of Spawn the Dark Ages number 15, which will ship in late May. Todd will personally respond to it. That never happened. I have enclosed an autograph card from the McFarland collection. If you have access to the internet, check out our website, spawn.com. Wait, is it is your letter in the back of that book? Yeah. Well, where's the can you read the letter? Oh man, <laughs> I, I gotta find. I don't know where my spawn comics are. That's yeah. very funny that you're like you read us the response, the, like corporate response. <laughs> no, find your, yeah, your letter. Find your letter. We'll oh, we'll find it. Oh, I do want to mention. To be continued. That I'll find the letter on that day, yeah, May sixteenth, two thousand. Famous deaths. Bodacious the bull. A rodeo bull died. Famous oh. deaths? Famous deaths. That's the first thing you were Googling? I Googled things that happened on May 16, 2000, because I was curious. Oh, wow. uh, very cool. We'll have a follow-up where Pete will eventually find the letter he wrote to Spawn. In the meantime, I do want to mention uh, a, another podcast. We have another podcast we're doing a little exchange for on this show. Uh, on this episode of Comic Book Club, we're excited to feature a really funny podcast, perfect for anyone who hates censorship. It's called Band Camp. A hilarious duo of Jennifer Dad hosts it. Band Camp is a comedy podcast where they read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This mm. season, they're reading Mark Twain's classic, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I'll tell you why that was banned. I know some reasons. <laughs> yeah, I, I have some reasons as well. I also know why Mr. Hamburger, my English teacher, got very mad at me for my feedback on that book. None of this is in the script they sent us. Uh, One chapter. Ah, Yeah, Mr. Hamburger. Mr. Mr. Hamburger. Hamburger. Not made up. Not a. Not actually a hamburger man. I have some questions after the ad. (laughs) Okay. Did he say things like "robble robble"? He did say "robble robble" a lot. You know what I realized the other day? It took me many decades to realize that the hamburger said "robble robble" because he's robbing hamburgers. Is that true? <laughs> I think so. I don't know if that's necessarily true. That's sure. your logic. I think it's an, You're like, oh, I, I it's know why he says that. Why else would they say robble robble? But why <laughs> robble? I'm gonna robble robble you. It's like a cute way of sticking someone. Well, up this is the other night. I was getting mugged. I was coming home <laughs> late, and somebody was mugging me, and they were like, "Robble robble," and I was like, "I get it." Thank you. Oh, nice. And that was your former teacher, Mr. Hamburger. Mr. Hamburger. He's hit on hard times. Anyway, back to this ad. One chapter at a time out loud. If you think banning books will lead to a not-so-great future, then Bad Cap is for you. Whether you're like Jennifer, curious to read the book for the first time, or like Dan and a little too lazy to read it yourself, you'll love Bad Cap. Look for Bad Cap. That's banned with two N's 
on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Let's get banned together. Ah, isn't that nice? Nice. I love it. Great. Well, oh, did you have questions about Mr. Hamburger or did was he just made fun of constantly? Um, strangely not, which was weird. Wow. But I will tell you the story about Huckleberry Finn real quick, if you're curious. Uh, well, let me just say, your teacher, Mr. Hamburger, my English teacher, was named Mr. Shart. So, <laughs> wow, that's way worse. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, the quick story about Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, if anybody doesn't know, it is about Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, and a guy named Joe that I won't elaborate on, uh, traveling down the river on a raft together. And as was they it Jim? Yeah, Jim, wasn't it? Jim. Yes, there you go. It's been a while since I, I won't elaborate on the first part of it. Yes, thank you. Uh, anyway, as they stop off in different places, pretty much every place, if I remember correctly, is kind of a parody of a Shakespeare play. And they stop off in one place where there's these two warring families. They get caught in the middle. There's a girl that's in love with a guy from one of the other families. And everybody dies except for them. And there's a very funny scene at the end where they're like, well, now we're both alive and we can be together. And I was like, oh, that's a, when we were talking about it in class, Mr. Hamburger asked, oh, what is, so what is this about this section of the book? And I was like, well, you know, it's a parody on Romeo and Juliet. He's like, "Mm, not quite. I was like, no, I I think it's Romeo and Juliet. He's like, no, actually it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. And I was like, yes. It's that, but also it's very clearly, and he got so mad at me, and I think I got thrown out of class. Nice. But anyway, there you go. He was like, get out of here, you future podcaster. I <laughs> You're going to be a loser who talks about comic books until you die. Uh, Glavin, technically, yes, you are correct, but also I am correct. Oh, sorry. Was that the guy who wrote a letter into Medieval Spawn or whatever it was? <laughs> Yo, taking shots. Pete LePage, Mr. Hamburger. Nobody walks out of this alive. <laughs> I'm on fire right now. Why don't we move to our next right. section, which is trivia. For that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. Hey! Are we to give back to a lovely audience? It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars midtown comics online because if you had 25 bucks you go to a comic book shop so we need a brave volunteer uh if someone wants to just comment david, pick david me quinley. oh 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 did david quinley already say me he said i'll do it Ooh, so quick all right there we go why don't we do david quinley then uh all i right, think great. he got uh blocked out last time so there you go all right great all quinley right back Today's trivia is on fun facts about comic book artists and a small nod to the legend Tom Smothers. R.I.P. Yo-Yo Man. Yes! Shouts to Tom Smothers. I love it. All right. Please listen to all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. Which amazing artist is from Canada and won won lots of awards, including Best Artist, Best Colorist? Is it A, Fiona Staples, B, Feeling paper clips or C John Hands Tester. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the level of nonsense in twenty twenty is up. Uh high level. Did we I think this is in the next stack we have Feeling Paper Clips new book, which is right. yeah. very yeah. bad. Feeling paper clips, you said. Uh, D Letter D- Kenny. Ah oh, shout outs to Letter Kenny. Final season. What a great show. A? a is correct. Well yeah, done. Fiona Staples is from Canada. She won many awards. 
Here we go. Question number two. Poor feeling paper clips. No, that wasn't that wasn't the right cho- choice. All right, here we go. Question number two. This artist studied improv and performed for years. Plus, she won multiple Eisners. Is it A, Jill Thompson, B, F, Paul Tompkins, or C, Paul F. Tompkins? Ah. Oh. Hmm. Nice. Hmm. Real changing around of the, the letters there. Yeah, it really. It <laughs> Don't expose difference. his process. Oh, sorry. F. It really sorry, makes God. a big difference. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it really does. F. Yeah. Pete LePage. Yeah, exactly. That's a hard one, though. It's hard to figure out which of the three answers is correct. Yeah, it's tough. That's why I'm not giving any hints. It should is be, it A? Uh, is it it a? is A. Oh, wow. my God. There we go. Uh, David got two out of two. All right, here we go. Last one. This amazing artist was also born in Canada, but raised in Southern California. Is it A, can- Canadian tuxedo board shorts, B, Chris Bacciolo, or C, Rusty Schwimmer. I would love to know how you got from B to A, not to indicate which one it is, but Yeah, I would I don't I would have a question where you started on this one. Do you start with C <laughs> and go backwards to A? Would you start with A and then ended up with B? Can we just get a camera on during your trivia process? <laughs> I'd like to record the 17 seconds it takes you to, to do the, the right thing. There's some Googling. I assume Googling well, I'll break Canadian it up you comic guys. book I'll artists. I'll break it was... down for you, uh, for you guys. And uh, David is correct. It is B. But I was thinking, okay, what's Canadian? Well, a Canadian tuxedo. What's uh-huh. How do we get California in there? And that's how I added the board shorts. You know what I mean? Nothing's <laughs> more California than surfing. You know what I mean? Oh, nice. David, congratulations. You have won a $25 gift card to Midtown right, Comics. Shoot us an email and we will get it to you. Pete, what is the Secret Smothers Brothers, I'm going to assume, movie you are hinting at? I was, of course, talking about the 2009 movie, The Informant. Mm. Tommy Both Smothers. the brothers made a cameo. In I it. love the Smothers Brothers when I was a kid. Oh they yeah, definitely like something I watched. I had Yo Yo Man. Oh, Yo Yo Man! I had Yo Yos when I was a kid. But just the way, like as a kid, who was like, "What? How does? How are things funny?" To see them play Crazy Man, Straight Man, they were just so oh, good at it. They were and so like, good. Tom Smothers playing dumb is just. If you've never seen the Smothers Brothers, look up some old clips. Of them just doing a regular late. You night want to talk bit. about amazing straight man? Like, oh, uh, it's shocking. Like, <laughs> yeah. Tom, Smothers, Tom, Tom got all the hype because he was the yeah. doing the punchlines, but the straight manning of his brother is amazing. Yeah, I saw them live once. I don't remember where Ooh. or when, but it was the best. They were so good. Oh, wow. As we the, all uh, know, new comic books are coming out all the time, Pete. What are you looking forward to that's coming out? Oh, man, week? so much. I can't wait to talk to you guys in the stack. Uh, Transformers number four is amazing. Mm-hmm. Fables 161 is amazing. Petrolhead number three is amazing. And, of oh, course, Terrace Apart number four. Uh, mm. Also just phenomenal. I'm sorry, guys. I, I really? took a lot of that is a lot. Um, there's so many. I have questions to talk to you about, Pete. I want to yeah. shout out. Uh, I'll shout out a couple as well. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man number one, the Hickman book, is a... Uh, I'm curious what's happening here. I feel like it's going to be a wild ride. It certainly feels... Great start. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, potentially a great potentially. start. Um, and I'm going to uh, maybe eat Alex's lunch a little bit and hype up Crave number two. 
Uh, oh, go. <laughs> uh, uh, really, uh, th- this book, the premise is an app that sort of gives you all of your sexual desires when uh, pairing with someone else on this. And would you uh, say maybe the whole game. issue is fucking maybe? Would you say that? Uh, again, uh, we don't know because it comes out tomorrow, Pete. And this tomorrow. show takes place today. Um, um, huge different, but I, I, that book is, uh, the first issue was great. Oh, so very much looking forward. Bunch of big books coming out this week or have already yeah. come out. If they're from DC, you mentioned ultimate Spider-Man, which is a huge one. Action comics, 1061, Jason oh, yeah. Aaron writing Superman for the first time. That's pretty huge. We got yeah. Garth Ennis on James Bond, which is, will be interesting to talk about rise of the powers of X. Number one, continuing the end of yes. the Kokoa era should be big as well. And uh, lots more stuff. Uh, the only other one that I was really curious to check out, just because we talked about how surprisingly strong this line is, is Disney Villains Cruella DeVille, number one mm-hmm. from Sweetie Boo. Just, I've liked all the titles, so I'm curious to see how this one turns out as well, because it hasn't come out yet, right, Pete? So I, we don't actually yeah, know. we don't know. But... I do have it, one more to shout out real quick. Yeah, I mean, deep, deep Cuts, number four. Yeah. Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark with Ramon Perez on art. Uh, the first three issues of this book are so good. It's about like musicians from uh, the 20th, 20th century, early 20th century musicians and their lives. And just like the like jazz and blues scene around different parts of America, man, it's a great book. Very much looking forward to this. Yeah. And I'll throw out one other thing that I was excited based on the title alone. Acid chimp versus business dog. Number one from Ahoy comics. Not what you think. Not what you think, but you got Mark Russell and Steve Pugh on that, and that's always a good time. And uh, all of those books, surprisingly, are going to be in our Stack podcast, which comes oh, out man. Wednesday at 9 a.m. in the comic book feed. In its own dedicated Stack feed, so check it out. And folks, that is it for this week's show. Couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Joshua Williamson for coming on. Check out yeah, Cobra Doug. Commander number one, January seventeenth. Duke number two on January thirty first. Both from Skybound and Image Comics. Dave Moss for talking about hey, Death hey. Strikes, the Emperor of Atlantis. That is out from Dark Horse Comics on January 24th. Next week, I plugged this last week, but it's actually next week. Mid Lee is going to be here to talk about Enlight- Enlighten Me, and Charles Soule is going to be here to talk about Star yeah. Wars, 8 Billion Genies, and everything else he's working on. Don't forget so to check out Comic Book Club News every day of the week for a quick hit of comic book news. Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, we put up our What If Season 2 spoiler review, so check that out. Patreon.com slash Comic Book Club to support the show and all the shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Good night, folks. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you. Good night.